everyone. Welcome to the first episode of the Zon N Canada podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Betteridge. This show is going to be about the relationship between Japanese animation and Canadian media. Now, a lot of my focus is going to be on television, uh, since it is a popular topic, and really is still seen as the best way to introduce a niche medium like anime to new audiences who would otherwise never discover it. This is of particular interest because, as you may have heard, Canadian cable and satellite providers are going to be transitioning to a pick-and-pay model in the near future. And that's going to create an interesting situation for television as a platform that allows people to discover content since consumers are now going to be able to just pay for the stations they want and uh, leave behind the ones they don't. Uh, I'm sure this is going to come up a bit later in today's episode, but what we're starting off with here is a multi-part roundtable discussion about anime on Canadian TV. And I've gathered a few people here today to participate in this discussion, so let's go around the table and have everyone introduce themselves. (laughs) Hi, I'm Emily, and I am in the Toronto area, and I write for Moon Chase, a Sailor Moon news blog, and you can find us at moon-chase.com. Okay. Uh, my name is Mark Gagnon. I'm from Fredericton, New Brunswick. I'm a student journalist, and I guess my qualification to be here is that I've been a geek on the internet for a very long time. You know what? That's a perfectly adequate uh, qualification, if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> and my name is Kevin, and I... I'm a participant of the Linked to Japan podcast, where you can find us at linkedtojapan.wordpress.com. We talk about Japanese animation, comics, video games, all that stuff. And that's pretty much it about me. Okay, great. And again, I'm I'm Jesse. Uh, I'm an MA student in communication at Simon Fraser University. And, you know, I'm just a huge anime fan. And I've always been uh, really into talking about anime on Canadian TV and Canadian media and things like that. Uh, so here's how things are going to work today. Uh, I'm going to go around the table with three questions. Uh, first, I'm going to ask everyone about their favorite memories of anime on Canadian broadcasters. The second, I'm going to ask what they feel is the biggest missed opportunity for anime on TV in this country. And third, I'm going to ask everyone about any hopes or expectations they might have for the future. Uh, And I know they all have a lot to say, as I'm sure anyone would. So let's go around the table and get started. Emily, we'll start with you. What is, you know, one of your favorite memories about anime on Canadian TV? Multiple memories? You know, what what is important to you? Um, Well... there's a few different uh, different times that, that really stick out in my mind. Um, I think what really uh, got me into anime the most uh, was, was Sailor Moon. Um, that was basically my gateway anime. Um, I had seen other anime before that, but that was really the thing that, that got me very interested in anime, and I wanted to see more of it and, and explore it. Um, and I made some friends um, who also liked Sailor Moon at the time. And, um, and so that was a good turning point for me and I got interested in drawing more and, and I'm actually a professional graphic designer and illustrator now. So it's, um, it kind of transitioned into a lot of things for me. Also, I ended up, you know, with one of my good friends in high school, we, we watched a lot of the anime at night that was showing on Teletoon and Space mm-hmm. and we bonded over those things and then renting anime from video stores. Jumbo Video, which no longer exists, and oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> and that kind of thing. When I was really small, I also watched something that was called Fables of the Green Forest on uh, on TVO. Um, so that would have been in the eighties. So that was one of my first animes. Um, and then, you know, moving forward, when we had Bionics on YTV, uh, I would actually watch that with both my mom and my sister a lot of the time. And oh, that's so great. I, I just kind of dragged them in. 
So that's it. That's it for me for my fond memories. With Sailor Moon, uh, I know you 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 had you had a lot of uh, fandom circles and things going on with that. Did you find that most people who were involved with that were Canadian? Were there a lot of Americans, international audiences? Well, with, with Sailor Moon, when I first got into it, um, like I first started watching it in late 1995, uh, I didn't have access to the internet at that time. It wasn't until a few years later that I really got online. Um, so I wasn't exposed to that. It was more of a local thing and, um, and actually seeing fan dub VHS tapes, uh, being sold in, in malls and stuff. Fan, um, fan dub? Uh, sorry, fan sub. <laughs> And and then um, I was in uh, Pathfinders, which is uh, connected to Girl Guides. It's just the next level up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of the girls in my Pathfinder group were were kind of sort of interested in Sailor Moon, um, and and so we would kind of discuss it a little bit there. And I would discuss it with my friends at school. But there's also you know, not a lot of people were really into anime, in in where I was going to school and stuff. So. Um, well, this would have been like 95, 96 as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I, it, it started when I was in grade eight was when I started watching. Um, and, uh, I, I was a bit bullied then. So, um, something that I really was into was not going to be something that was going to be popular. <laughs> of course. And then when I went to grade nine and I started a new school and, um, and then I just was, open about it because that's the kind of person that I am. If I like something, then I like it. And mm-hmm. if someone else doesn't like it, well, that's, they don't have to like it, right? Um, but I, I made some friends who also liked Sailor Moon, and then there were some people who didn't get it. They they didn't understand anime. Part yeah. of it, though, was also because it's it, for me it was the beginning of high school. Um, it's also kind of a time where, where everyone is trying really hard to prove that they're not a kid anymore. So, uh, animation in general kind of gets, you know, seen as, as this childish thing, um, because they haven't, they're, they're not in this time now where it's, it's, it's more open. You see a lot more variety. And, uh, and so people just react as uh, the kind of way that they tend to when it's something they don't understand. They just kind of want to push it away and leave it in a little box over there. I found that, uh, you know, once you got into the later grades, people didn't really care anymore. They were just like, well, whatever, that's your thing. I don't have to like it. But if you like it, that's cool. You know, people were more mature then. But towards, you know, like the end of elementary school and, and the beginning of high school, everyone is kind of like in attack mode. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they they don't want to, you know, believe that there could be something in there that that isn't just for children, especially when it's something, you know, like Sailor Moon had a lot of changes made to it to gear it to a younger audience than it was originally intended for. Uh there's some great YouTube videos of the commercials that ran during Sailor Moon, which are all for Sailor Moon merchandise and accessories, <laughs> which would be so blatantly illegal here. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I feel like they used to do that. Maybe they stopped that, you know. <laughs> the kind of merchandise that they had here, like I don't know what it was like across the country. Um I was living in Newmarket at the time and um so like I wasn't going to things like Pacific Mall and and I hadn't been to conventions yet. 
Um, so I, I was just going to the, to the local mall and, and, uh, whatever they had there. And it would be like a lot of the sticker cards and you'd see some t-shirts and that kind of thing and posters and, um, and then these, um, subtitled videos that were obviously bootlegs. But at the time I didn't even know what a bootleg was. Yeah. I was just like, Oh my gosh, it's Sailor Moon. This is exciting. <laughs> Yeah, with with a lot of the actual merchandise, I think Irwin was the company that I think did the uh did the Sailor Moon merchandise. But I know you know it had quite a quite a big push here. I don't think it the merchandise took off so much in the states. I think a lot of that stuff was actually only in Canada because you know until Sailor Moon started on Toonami in I think like ninety nine or even two thousand, it didn't really have a lot of traction. It sort yeah, of outside it was of Canada. Difficult for them to find the right network in the states from from what I could tell. There is certainly a huge fan base now, right? Um and it's oh, been yeah. growing over the years. Um but uh I, I remember that when we would go on family vacations when I was younger and Sailor Moon was still on the air, it was very difficult to find it on um even the kinds of stations that we would have in, in the hotels and resorts that we were staying in. And, um, I think it was on something that, that I think it was USA network or something like that. They picked um, it up later. But it, 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 it was, yeah. it might've had a different name at the time. Um, but it was like on early mornings. Yeah. I know Fox tried to do a small run at, at some point, but they didn't really know what to do yeah. with it. But before you guys, <laughs> Before USA Network, it ran just in syndication. So, like, some Fox networks would pick it up. It would show up in some other blocks. Where I live uh, in Vancouver or near Seattle, uh, the Fox affiliate here, I think, they ran one episode of Sailor Moon R at, like, 6.30 in the morning on Saturday at one time. And as far as I know, that's all all that ran. So it it got a lot of pretty pretty bad time slots in the States, whereas in Canada – well, YTV was making a whole deal of picking up shows that were in syndication and just sort of, uh, sort of embracing it and, and showcasing it, which is well, also Global TV was airing it um, and uh, oh, that's right, yeah, slot as well, yeah. and, and that was also a good slot to have um, for kids who are eating breakfast before they're getting ready for school, um, and then YTV would do the after school slot, so it was really easy uh, for the, the audience they were targeting to to see it um, now. My impression when I, I got to know more about Sailor Moon later was that it was more of a preteen kind of focused show. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the age that I was when I first started watching it. I, I was 13 years old. So it, it, I was actually part of the correct target market from the original, but, um, a lot of things ended up being skewed a bit younger, um, due to, you know, um, uh, cultural differences or concerns that, that parents might be upset about certain things, you know, uh, trying to tone down certain violent elements. And then, of course, we, you know, we had things that, that were changed where, you know, they didn't want to have any homosexual relationships because that wasn't really too in focus at the time. I think it was like a couple years or so before Ellen came out and then people really started to talk about it in mainstream. Yeah. Um, and that was not really something that they really wanted to, to have on what was supposed to be a kid's show. Um, they thought it was too risque. Now it continues to be contentious in, in kid shows. I mean, yeah. it's a dialogue that's happening in kid shows now, but I mean, here we are 20 years later. And, and even when they, because they had that break before they went into, uh, into S and Supers and, and that ended up coming out in, 
99-2000, something like that. Yeah, after – that was because of the tsunami run in the States. And they still went and, and changed the, the relationship between Uranus and Neptune. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and some cousins, right? Um, yet you know, yet they still it, made sexual innuendo at each other. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I'm sorry, but you know, when one girl is looking down another girl's shirt like that, that that is not a cousin kind of thing to do. Here's the fun thing about that is that those the DVDs for for S and Supers that Genion put out, the footage is all uncut, and you know, it's because it has the Japanese version. You can watch the the Japanese version with the subtitles on that release, but they also included the dub. Because I guess, why not? We have a doubling around. Let's put it in. But the thing is that on that dub, they never did retakes to remo- to change their relationship back to, to lovers from cousins. <laughs> so you actually have all of all of the visual signifiers of them, like, ve- that very blatantly indicates that they're in a relationship, still intact, and they're still referring to each other as, as their cousin. <laughs> <laughs> they should have just gone the extra step and given them southern accents at that point, I think. <laughs> Yeah, you know, most of them all all had like very neutral kind of accents, and then we had Molly who had like this random New York accent, and everyone was just like. And what? her mother and, did not have a New York yeah, accent. Yeah, her mother did not have an accent. <laughs> so how did that happen? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and then Luna, of course, is, was British, and and this nanny voice. Yeah. yeah, and then you're like. Yeah. But Artemis doesn't have an accent, and they were from the same place. What's going on here? <laughs> yeah, didn't it come out that someone in Japan, maybe even the original creator, actually preferred the the British voice for Luna, as opposed to the young girl voice she had in Japan? Ooh, um, I'm not. I think sure. I heard. I think I heard that somewhere. It might, it might just be anecdotal, but I'm not sure about that because uh, the voice that they have now in the, in the new dub. Um, is uh, Michelle Ruff, and, and she's you know she's a much younger voice, right. um, and definitely not British. <laughs> she plays it as much more of a cool aunt kind of kind of voice compared to to crush the old nanny. Uh, I mean, not, not not to say that the old Luna voice didn't have its charm, of course, but yeah. it was it was less accurate. But uh, yeah, Takeuchi has a pretty firm grasp on everything that goes down with adaptation now. Yeah. So yeah, uh, yeah, and, and she's supposed to be, you know, listening to all the voices that, that they're choosing as well. You know, she's she's having some say in that. Um, so that's interesting um, to to see a property become uh, that significant that the creator can have that amount of control that they can actually go and say in other languages which voice they prefer to be the characters. Yeah. Too bad we can't legally watch that dub right now. Oh, I guess on D- on DVD and Blu-ray we can, but not streaming. <laughs> yes, we're still waiting for that. <laughs> still waiting. We'll probably get into that issue in a in a future episode. Uh, but uh, all right, anything else, Emily? Uh, no, I think that that's it for question one. Yeah, I think Sailor Moon's important. I think we can't understate that, and I think we covered all the all all the big things there. So let's move on to Mark. Uh, Mark, looking back, any anything big you wanna you wanna discuss or talk about? The very first memory I have is watching Astro Boy. Oh yeah. So I think I think that gives you an idea of how far go back it goes. They there was a 1980 version that was animated in color, and I remember seeing that when I couldn't have been any older than three or four, and that just struck in my mind for decades. You know the you and even at that age I could differentiate it from Western cartoons. You know. Oh wow. Uh, um, you know, uh, DuckTales or whatever else was on. There was such a bizarreness to it that just really sunk in my brain, and maybe that was the root of it all. Um, 
But yeah, I, those were kind of the earlier shows where you would see them and maybe you were too young to know that it was, you know, what we would call anime now, but you still could recognize that the animation was done slightly differently, you know, that you didn't have the wacky takes like you had in Western animation. And sometimes you could even tell that the storylines were a bit darker. Um, I do remember watching an anime adaptation of The Jungle Book, uh, maybe a couple of years later, and I don't even, I don't know if it aired in English or French, but that one actually had some really, had graphic, maybe, I don't know if I'd call it graphic violence, but you know, animals fighting and killing each other and, you know, again, when the when the most serious shows on the time were something like you know a Darkwing Duck, that was that was pretty hardcore, I have to say at the time. But yeah, uh, you probably probably jump straight from there to uh, when Dragon Ball first and Sailor Moon, probably the double whammy, I would call them in the mid '90s, um, and that that pretty much blew me away at the time, I have to say. Yeah, with the Jungle Book one, I'm not, I'm not sure if that was a world masterpiece theater title. Uh, you mentioned you might have caught it in French. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they, they a number of those ran on on Radio Canada. Uh, learned about that way too late, of course. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I I think I was into Sailor Moon as just as much as everyone else in Canada around that age would have been. I I was a little bit more surreptitious about it. You know, I didn't want my my guy friends to know I was really into that mm. show. So, you know, I would I would watch it and you know cry because I was so moved and then I would go, you know, and not let anyone know the next day. I remember buying a pack of Sailor Moon trading cards because the, it was the first uh pack, you know, piece of Sailor Moon memorabilia I had found and I was so blown away, but I, I even had to tell the catcher that it was for my imaginary sister. So, you know, even, even <laughs> then I couldn't really admit it to myself. Um, but at, really, at least I had a real sister to reference. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, it was really Dragon Ball Z that kicked it off for me. And I don't think the first run of it that I saw was on Canadian TV. I'm pretty sure it was a Fox affiliate. And it aired very early in the morning on Sundays. Like I'm talking like 7, 7.30. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I'm pretty sure this was at least a year or two uh, before it had begun to air on YTV. Because Dragon Ball, the entire run of Dragon Ball that, you know, YTV had, it was finished by that point. So I was, you know, vaguely familiar with the characters. And then Dragon Ball Z comes on and it's a time skip of, you know, what I forget what it is, 15 years or something. <laughs> I pretty much had to pick up the pieces at that point. But that was a pretty huge obsession for me uh, all through my, all through my high school years, I have to say. Yeah, that was neat. Over, over here, Dragon Ball Z was airing on KVOS, uh, which is right. uh, an independent broadcaster out of, out of Bellevue or Bellingham. I can't remember which. And, this, this was a couple years after uh, YTV had been running Dragon Ball, which barely got any playtime uh, yeah. in, in the states as well. So it, and I, I had known, like I, you know, I, there's, there's uh, lots of Chinese Korean uh, students at the schools I went to, and sure. you know, they would have like Dragon Ball Z backpacks and even a few Dragon Ball GT backpacks uh, a little oh, wow. further into into middle school as well. Yeah, because like, that would that would have been finished in Japan by the time, right? Yeah, I can't remember, can't remember off the top of my head. You know, I, I talked to some, some, some of my friends about it too, and they had, you know, they had seen later more, more of Dragon Ball, and they had seen Dragon Ball Z, which, you know, for, for a few years, but between the time that YTP stopped airing Dragon Ball and before I found Dragon Ball Z, it was like, oh, it's like this, these fabled later episodes that, that I'll never <laughs> know because they, the show got cancelled and they keep continuing it. And then just yeah. suddenly I saw Dragon Ball Z on, and it was, uh, it was just kind of neat to see them skipping ahead that far. I mean, yeah, I, I think it was the mystique that really, really did it for me because, because again, this was before I had internet access, right? Yeah. So, you know, we went from watching the first uh, run of, of Dragon Ball, which was probably only, what, 20-some episodes, I think? The 13. Whole... <laughs> well, 13. God, it's even yeah. less than I thought. But they you ran know, it a going... lot. <laughs> 
They yeah. did. They really did. And so going from that to the first arc of Dragon Ball, the, the Saiyan arc, and, you know, I must have seen that at least a half dozen times the complete way through before they finally moved on to the Namek stuff. But, you know, I would watch that on TV. And then, I don't know if you remember, back then, gaming magazines, you know, like PC Gamer, um, you know, uh, Game Pro, these sorts of things, they would have ads in the back for yeah. Japanese import companies. Oh, yes. I and, remember and they, that quite distinctly. Yeah, and they would have uh, Dragon Ball Z merchandise, like little posters, you know, just thumbnail-sized pictures of posters, video games. But they had all these characters. I had no idea who they were, you know, the, the Super Saiyans and, uh, you know, Cell and Boo. And I was so, you know, intrigued by these characters. I would I would draw all of these elaborate drawings, you know, just based on the tiny one-inch thumbnails. And, and I was, you know, kind of begging to see what would happen with these characters. And I remember very clearly the day that YTV finally aired the new episode, the first Namek episode. Mm-hmm. Because I was fully expecting it to to loop back around to the first episode of Dragon Ball Z, as it had done like a half dozen times. And then what it actually, you know, said previously, and it was the previous episode they were recapping, and it said something like, return to Namek. And I fell out of my chair, because that was just, you know, yeah. oh god, it's finally moving on after all this time. But the interesting thing about Dragon Ball, and I don't know how far this went outside of, of uh, my region, because I'm in New Brunswick and we're pretty close to Quebec. We got the Quebec stations. Uh, we got TQS. And I think it was it was a bit later, but this would have been in like maybe 97, 98. They were actually airing uncut episodes of Dragon Ball Z very early in the morning at like, you know, 637. And this blew me away. Now, by this time, I had Internet access. So I was aware of how much Dragon Ball Z was being edited. You know, um, there was a website called Dragon Ball Z Uncensored. And it was doc, it was, you know, devoted to documenting every, you know, every, uh, glob of blood that was painted out, yep. every, you know, cut scene, that sort of thing. And then I turn on the French station and, you know, they're using the actual honorifics, you know, Son Goku, that sort of thing. The blood is completely edited. The music was original. And they would even use the original voice acting during fighting scenes because they didn't want to bother dubbing the grunts. Yeah, that's, that's just so, lazy. <laughs> but it was still awesome because for that, you know, 30 seconds or whatever, I was watching the original Japanese Dragon Ball Z, which blew my mind um again unfortunately they only had the license to the saiyan saga which is pretty pretty tragic but um yeah i i put all of those on tape and i kind of supplemented well i was already taping dragon ball z so i had sort of the you know the french collection as well yeah one thing that in in these uh roundtables one thing that we're definitely lacking is perspectives from quebecers and there's all sorts of stuff that that aired on the uh the public and and specialty channels in in quebec um i think i think a huge glut of the stuff that that aired in in France uh, in the the late 80s, early 90s. I think just about all of it uh, showed up in Quebec at some point. Uh, yeah. But if you weren't actually in the province, uh, then you you're, you're not really most people wouldn't be really, really be aware of it. So I'm, I'm hoping yeah. I can find some people who can uh, who can <laughs> contribute more information on that in the future. Well, I think I told you I have seen um, magazines from Quebec that had DVDs with uh, uh, Captain Harlock or Albator, yes. as it was known in French. So I have to imagine that there was some uh, circulation of that in Quebec. Uh, they also aired a French version of Card Captor Sakura that uh, I watched a fair amount of, and I believe that was fully unedited too, which that was another show I'm sure you know that was pretty butchered pretty heavily by, you know, a network that kind of made wanted to make it into a completely different show. Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, French Teletoon aired uh, that show unedited, I believe. One of the one of the handful of of unedited French dubs that that showed up on that network. They they had yeah. Naruto at one point later on too. And well, I mean, to Teletoon's credit, they at least aired uh, the Card Captors dub. The, they aired the episodes in the correct order at one point. <laughs> 
Uh, it's such an innocuous show, you know. The fact that it was butchered so heavily is is still so bizarre to me. I mean, there's so many Japanese boy shows you could have brought over. Why would you bring over this this show that's clearly aimed at young girls and you know try and warp it into this thing that it wasn't? That was yeah, that was so weird that that they even tried yeah. to do that. It was like, well, it, and it's not like it was like the first show of its kind to come like that, you know? Yeah. Um. So. It's like they suddenly forgot that girls watch TV too. <laughs> well, I mean, basically, I'm sure when Nelvana, I'm sure when Nelvana picked up the show that they had some kind of some kind of intention to to market it properly, but you know something probably came up along the way. Yeah, but I mean, between I think that and uh, Escaflowne were the two the two female led shows that they they just tried desperately to to you know hide the fact that they were female led. Yeah, well, Escaflowne isn't that Fox. That tried to do that with Escaflone? Yeah, they picked up they picked up Escaflone because they didn't want Toonami to get it. Uh, so and then when they they hadn't actually really watched the show, so they wound up editing it quite significantly, at least for the portion that aired on US TV. Um, then it was cancelled after seven episodes. Uh, but we got the whole thing on Y T V of mm-hmm. course. Well, I didn't know it was because they didn't want Toonami to get it. That's interesting. Yeah, okay. uh, uh, the story is that uh one of the Toonami, uh, sort of planners had mentioned in an interview that they wanted Escaflone, so Fox jumped on it. Uh, but, uh, but which, I mean, they butchered those first few episodes, but, I mean, the episodes that, that didn't air on Fox were edited for YTV, which means they were basically unedited. They just, they painted out some blood and that was about it. Plus, they, they tacked the real first episode onto the end of the run, too. So, so we actually, the second run started with the, with the proper first episode, which was nice. Uh, it was, it was something anyway. I mean, I think of it this way, if, uh, if Saban had never gotten involved with Escaflone, it probably never would have shown up here. Uh, if if Toonami had gotten it, we we wouldn't have. I'm almost I'm almost certain of that. Possibly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I think I think from there it jumped up to Gundam Wing, which you know I think blew quite a lot of people away, even from the title screen, you know, with with the unedited Japanese text. And I think at that point everyone knew that they were, you know. I think there was an appeal to keep that inherent Japanese-ness to it. Yeah. And, you know, I think that that show was, was pretty influential. Um, and I think after that point, anime more or less dried up on Canadian TV, and I had to transition to VHS tapes to kind of feed my habit up until Bionics premiered. And I, I will say without shame, well, maybe a little bit of shame, that I watched every single episode of Bionics for the entire run from, from 2004 to 2010. That gives you an indication of how little of a social life I had at the time. <laughs> that I'm, I am a little sad to see that that's kind of withered up, but... You know, it's, we're in the we're in the the new media era, as they call it. So we'll see where things go. For sure. All right, thanks, Mark. Uh, Kevin, let's move on to you next. Ooh, so I did catch Sailor Moon and Dragon Ball, you know, as they were airing. But I would say I was definitely a Pokemon kid. Ah, yes. See, I was. <laughs> I was around grade three, grade four when Pokemon blew up, and it was it was quite something, you know, like. You know, the TV show was playing, the cards came out, um, the games for the Game Boy and Game Boy Color were out, and I remember begging my mother for a Game Boy Color and Pokemon Red. It was, I don't know, I look back on it pretty fondly, because you look back on it now, and it's, while Pokemon's not as big as it used to be, not it, it was not in the same magnitude as it was in the past, it's still... It's still a fairly large franchise, but back then, oh man, it was just, it was just amazing. I look back on it pretty fondly. Uh, I didn't like Gundam Wing that much, actually. I always found the show 
very boring and dry. Did you still and... go out of your way to watch it at <laughs> at the time it was airing? No, actually, I it was the, the show just annoyed me because I even in the beginning it felt like there was a lot of just political a lot of politics going on and it just felt very boring to me and I thought Lieutenant like Zex Marquis, I thought his name was Lieutenant Sex. I always heard Lieutenant Sex <laughs> instead of Zex. I, you know what? For about half show. If if you go back and and look at a lot of those Gundam names, I think that that may have been intentional. I mean, Zeta Gundam had a villain whose name was basically Hyman. So <laughs> <laughs> let's not forget Quattro Vagina. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I will say just to cut in briefly that Gundam Wing I think only really seems sophisticated when you're comparing it to Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> Oh, I actually did rewatch Wing last year, and it does not hold up well. <laughs> See, that Gundam Wing was when I first realized, hmm, this stuff probably isn't from, uh, this is not, you know, from North America. That's when I realized it was from Japan. Uh, and then we had the whole glut of nothing on YTV other than, you know, kids' properties. Mm-hmm. Then I actually stumbled onto Bionics that very first night. And the show that actually hooked me as a fan of anime was Witch Hunter Robin. Oh, uh, interesting. It was definitely not like anything I had seen up until, up until that point. And I know I really liked its atmosphere. It had that really dark, dreary uh, atmosphere that hooked me in in spite of the Witch of the Week hunts. But in the end, uh, I got so into that show that... Uh, Later on that year, Bandai released that Winch Hunter Robin box that it costed, what, $150. And I went to my first fan expo that year. And and even as a ninth grader, I was like, okay, I really like this show. I'm going to plop the money for it. And I plopped down, I think, 180 for Winch Hunter Robin. That's how much I love that show. And then I think YTV even re-aired that show at least twice. I think so, yeah. Yeah, it was a really great. Oh, I, I still love it now. It's like I look back on that show very fondly, and I guess if I had to pick one more memorable moment for me was when uh, Beck Mongolian Chop Squad aired on Much Music. That was pretty big. Yeah, I remember I, that. That that was amazing. Yeah. yeah. Like I have to really give kudos to Chum, rest in peace, because mm-hmm. they tried to. You know, they played different musical programming because they also picked up, uh, what was that animated show with Andre 3000 in it? Class, it was of, Class 3000? of 3000? Yeah. Which is two, normally two, two a, bizarre uh, shows to, add, to put together, but. Mm-hmm. Cause that's a Cartoon Network show, I believe, but that was really awesome too, because I did not expect much to do that. But then again, you look at what Chum did with Razor as well. I guess you could sort of see it, but. I guess that those would be the three things for me. All right, Beck was Beck was special. Yeah, those are those are definitely three three kind of standout things. Uh, and I think what you said about Witch Hunter Robin, I think applies to a lot of people. I think the reason that show really took off here because it was just such a wild contrast from pretty much everything we had been used to, at least for the last for, for the like the the five or six years preceding it. Anyway, I had actually watched that show uh, fan subbed a couple of years prior, and. The fact that I was now seeing it, seeing it on YTV, which you know again had really not aired nothing but Dragon Ball Z and Gundam, to me was a sign of the fact that they were they were taking this seriously and they were pursuing relatively modern titles. Yeah, absolutely. 
so I guess we'll finish off this section with uh, with with my thoughts. Um, if we're going back to like very early memories, my first would be Samurai Pizza Cats. Uh, I th- I think there was some kind of indication or something that ticked me off to the fact that this show was from Japan. Um, I wasn't really concerned about that. I didn't care at the time. I just found it really funny. I still find it really funny. Uh, I bought I bought Discotech's release of that, and I'm I'm very happy I did. But uh, I didn't really become consciously aware of what anime was uh, until I saw it talked about a lot in the Anti Gravity Room. Oh yeah, yeah. Wow, that's that, I haven't heard that name in a while either. Yeah, you can find some <laughs> clips on YouTube if you haven't watched it for a while. Or if you, that if you brings back some well. real memories. Yeah, yeah I, that was my first exposure to any sort of underground comic books, and that was a real treasure. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, and then also, as as Mark said, I think reading a lot of ads and stuff in the back of video game magazines uh, is sort of sort of what helped grow my awareness of of anime just as a as a as a thing as a foreign product. And you know, I I, I mean, I stumbled on. Gundam Wing eventually. Before that, uh, one of the, one of the most vivid memories I have was seeing Go Shogun Time Atranje, or also known as Time Stranger, air on space. Uh, it aired over here in Pacific Standard Time. It aired at like 4.30 p.m. on a Saturday, and I caught one of the subtitled airings of that movie, and that's what, one of my definitive, you know, I'm 12 years old, what is this moments. My girlfriend actually asked me to thank you for that because she had seen it as well when she was younger, and it was driving her crazy because it was such a bizarre film, and, you know, there was, she couldn't think of any way to search for it, and I actually had to reach out to you and, and find out what it was, so I'm, I'm amazed you actually remembered that thing. I, I Well, yeah, I remembered the movie. It wasn't until just a, a little while before that, that I had found out what it was it's because justin savakis wrote about it on anime news network in his buried treasure column uh, and I, okay. even that i missed it the first time i had to go back and dig it out and I'm like oh this is that movie i've been trying to find the title for for the past decade okay but yeah that that's always really stuck with me and i i watched it again recently and it's it's really interesting movie i uh if you're not sure if you don't know what it is we're talking about it's that movie where the woman who used to be part of a military mecha squad uh gets into a car accident she falls into a coma and she is trapped in this dreamscape world in her head uh with all of her old uh comrades from her military squad uh though though no mecha actually show up in the movie it's a spin-off from an old mecha show called go shogun uh but it has almost nothing to do with with that show uh and she's basically uh, fighting for her own survival and it's manifested in the form of this big black cat that she has to try and shoot at the end yeah it's 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 really weird it's almost like not really something that you'd expect to be spun off from you know a, a comedy mecha show uh but if uh if you haven't seen it i recommend checking it out or if you vaguely remember it uh that's the title so you can go pursue it now yeah i watched it when you recommended it and it seems it's it's, it's very much ahead of its time it's animated very traditionally like an 80s mecha show but it almost seems like something that you know satoshi khan would have would have directed oh, 10 absolutely or 15 years yeah later. yeah yeah yes. so i have to i have to give it props there yeah and the guy who directed it is now he uh he's now directing pokemon movies that's his job um but hey it's a you, you can't get a much more steady paycheck in that industry than that so that's one hell of a career trajectory though <laughs> yeah good on him it'd be neat to see him do something else original in the future but you know yeah. he's he's doing well so i'm i'm happy for that I think on that Time Changer DVD, they, they think they even say from the director of Pokemon. It's just like I'm sure wow, they do. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I, I can understand them trying to make a buck, but wow, that's a that's a pretty bad recommendation. <laughs> yeah, uh, and for one other memory, it actually has to be uh, a little before Bionic started, but when Inuyasha first aired on YTV, when they started airing it uh, oh, 10 p.m. on Friday yeah. nights. 
Uh, I remember sitting down just like, I didn't know, I didn't know what to expect. The idea of them running like a, you know, non heavily localized anime, uh, in primetime hours was just was so unthinkable at the time that I was just glued to my seat waiting in anticipation for it to, sh- to to show up and like when I when it kicked in and I saw the Japanese intro airing I was I was so unspeakably happy uh, yeah I'm I'm ashamed to admit it it was one of my most uh, satisfying moments of my life up to that point I shouldn't be a same shame to that oh I, I know I shouldn't be but I mean I was, I was in high school so. <laughs> yeah, no, that was that was that was deep, deeply impactful for me as well. Yeah. I mean, because you know, we we had known the we knew what was going on sort of behind the scenes a bit more at that point. So the fact that it was airing there relatively uncut was was a real you know a real win. I think. Yeah, it was just you know we, that, just that moment we had uh, just opened up so much promise for for what could happen in the future. And I mean, a lot. Of- I want to change the world. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. and it just yeah, so many. <laughs> and, and I mean, it led to great things. And really, Inuyasha really probably was the best show that YTV could have picked up at that at that time. And they were the only ones who wanted to do it at the time. And it and it and it paid off uh, enormously. So I mean, we can't we can't lose sight of how important Inuyasha was. Okay, so that wraps up for the first part. So we'll move on to the second question. We'll start with Emily again. Uh, what do you think is a big, one of the biggest missed opportunities for anime on TV in this country? Well, I think one of the touching back to uh, how Beck was was on Much Music and just that we haven't really seen anime break out into mainstream television yeah, for stations. Sure. You know, um, it it was almost there, and and then it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if Nana was on Much Music. That would have been great. I think oh, people had talked about that after Beck was, what, was a lot of airing for a little while. There were a lot of people yeah. who were saying that, that 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 would be a really good follow up. Um, but then, of course, you know, uh, with the change of ownership, it just wasn't possible for for that to even happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like I would have really liked to, to see some stuff. You know. Space make another attempt and, and get stuff that is, you know, more modern and and would be, you know, like just be more choosy about the kinds of things that they would air. Like if if they had gone and aired something like Evangelion, it would have been a really good fit for them. Um, but they never did. That and nobody ever did. Evangelion is a, definitely a huge missed opportunity. Uh, yeah, for, <laughs> like it. I think I think we are. One of, if not the only English-speaking country where Ava hasn't aired on television. Uh, it's yeah, kind of saying because we well, eventually got, like, we eventually got Cowboy Bebop. Yes. We eventually got Try yeah, Again. But but, uh, but Cowboy Bebop ended up being on what was it, Razor? Yeah, it was Razor. You know, and, and not really that many people got that. You know, I've never I, even heard of Razor, so there you go. <laughs> that that was like it was another you know, chum channel. Uh, yeah, it was okay. a Canadian version of MTV kind of thing. Um, it wasn't very good, and it was a little all over the place. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was. After they couldn't call it MTV Two anymore, they rebranded it as Razor and just tried to make it into a general uh, young adult kind of oriented station. And right. one of those stations that's just willing to try anything and throw throw out anything they can and see what sticks. And they tried anime, uh, and it seemed to do fairly well for them. They ran a few shows. They and yeah, they, they picked up. It was such a grab bag of things yeah. that it's like oh yeah there was no direction so it i i think it was hard to uh to really build an audience when you know you 
when nobody can really tell if, if they actually want to yeah. keep watching the station. Well, they, they grabbed Bebop and Shampoo at the same time, and they were both owned by different distributors at the time, too. So, I mean, they knew what to go for, uh, and I think if they'd been going on a little longer, maybe they would have grabbed Ava. Because uh, they and apparently, you know, dealing with ADV for any kind of TV rights has apparently always been really difficult. Toonami and, and Adult Swim even today seem to be having trouble dealing with them, or, or rather, Sentai Filmworks. Yeah, because ADV doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah, well, they, they they do like in some form, but they just can't do anything. It's it's complicated stuff. But also, as for for stuff airing on mainstream TV, yeah, I, I like to think that if Chum had not been bought out by CTV and or at least had gone on for a couple more years we may have seen a little more experimenting like that Nana yeah. which I believe was dubbed in Vancouver too uh would have been great on much it almost it almost seems kind mm-hmm. of obvious uh like an obvious follow up to Beck uh and again they were they were they were doing stuff with Razor I could have seen Razor picking up uh more titles that have been looked over uh I mean we never got Evangelion the big O is one that we've never gotten and was always yes. with the states too mm-hmm. uh, that one hurts <laughs> well, <laughs> we also we actually never got the uh, the supernatural anime, but we had the supernatural series airing on mainstream TV here, and that would have been a really easy thing to to kind of just throw in there. Did that show up on because TV you, anywhere? I don't think it did. I don't, I, don't I, so. I didn't really follow it, but um, that would have been something that would have been kind of like <laughs> an easy one to start with and yeah, kind of test the sure. waters. Um. And uh, and then you could kind of expand from there and, you know, start being a little bit more experimental. Um, you know, Cowboy Bebop, I think, it would have also been really good on space. Um, yeah. <laughs> but pretty much any big sci-fi title would have been really good on that there. And um, uh, there was uh, – while they were experimenting with – you know, Razor was showing some things and G4 tried to pick up a couple of titles – and then a little while after that, um, it kind of started to fizzle, and um, and then there were a couple of titles that ended up being um, on uh, Rogers on Demand because um, we subscribe to to Rogers Cable here. Um, and one of the titles I saw that way was was Razafon, and oh, that would have been man. fantastic on space. I love like, that show. It, it's like a more modern Evangelion in a way, but also different right um and that would have been a really great title for them to start with and 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 break into it and i and i could see that being wildly successful um i also would really love to see showcase get into uh into anime because they seem like they're open to anything well they were (laughs) and um (laughs) they they get all sorts of stuff right but um i i don't recall ever seeing any anime on there um uh, so it would be interesting to see, you know, where they would go with it because they could get stuff that would be a little bit more unusual that might not fit anywhere else, and and it would still work there. Okay. Uh, so Mark, uh, what do you, do you have any big missed opportunities that you had in mind? Yeah. Well, I mean, just to touch on what Emily said for a moment, I do remember that that moment in Canadian TV probably would have been around, what, 2006 or so, where you had G4, I believe, I think they were airing Tenjo Tenge. You know, you had you had anime on, on Rogers on Demand. I think I think Beck on on much was around that period. And for a brief second, it did seem like there was almost this, this spark of hope, but they all kind of went down the toilet pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, one thing, though, it's always kind of been my white whale. And I don't know if this is the 
if this is a real, uh, really a Canadian issue, it might be more with Bandai, but I honestly think that there wasn't really an attempt made to follow up the popularity of Gundam Wing yeah. on TV. And what I always thought, and this, I think I may be the only person in the world who thinks this, they should have gotten the license for Gundam X, which was kind of the, the spiritual sequel to it in, in, in Japan. And I realize it didn't get particularly good ratings, but I don't think the 12 year old kids in Canada would have really cared about the Japanese ratings. I mean, the character designs were almost, you know, virtually, you know, identical, you know, had the same sort of music. And I think they could have parlayed that, you know, uh, into, into a fairly big success, but I don't know whether, you know, Canadian broadcasters even knew it existed, whether Bandai wanted to license it out or whatever. But I always think that, you know, what if they had aired that in like 2000? It probably could have been a hit. On, on Toonami, one of the, well, I mean, one of the most infamous missteps for Gundam in general in the United States was that, uh, Bandai, uh, or in Sun, uh, Sunrise and Bandai in Japan were insistent yeah. that Gundam Wing be followed up with the original Mobile Suit Gundam from 1979. Yeah. Wow. Which, yeah did not do well at all <laughs> on Toonami in, in, in the United States. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, they followed it up with G, which I think did okay. Uh, but it was just sort of losing water after that. And then they, and, yeah. and, and then seed really uh, was, was a big, was a big flop in the States. Whereas yeah. it did well here because we didn't have that sort of intervening time where the, the franchise kind of floundered yeah. and, and it, was, it was just more kind of anticipation here that, that went on for five or so years. Uh, I, I do. Sorry, Kevin. Oh, sorry. Our, our episodes were less edited as well. For Seed, yeah, that helped. Yeah. Uh, there were, yeah, there were a number of things that helped Seed do a little better up here than it did in the states. But I still think the the biggest thing was just that that uh, that anticipation that uh, that that came along with it that came from the sort of five year yeah. drought. Uh, I I do agree with you, Mark, that X in general would have been the better follow up to Wing than than yeah. 079. And, and it's just it just has this stigma in Japan because it was cancelled really the same early. thing with with uh with victory gundam i think you know because that that only came what a couple of years before wing um you know it, again it could have easily fit into that same time slot but like you said the japanese distributors for whatever reason felt that these were you know failures and maybe it was a sort of a case that they didn't want to put their they wanted to put their best foot forward internationally but they didn't really get a sense of what you know what would play here versus play in japan uh we are at long last getting turn a on dvd uh, this year though so i mean that's nice. well i was I, I was actually gonna say i mean turn a you know i think it it was out in 99 or something they could have theoretically dubbed it very quickly and that that may have been a hit you know but again they kind of buried it in the sand for whatever reason yeah they were like they had a very weird idea of what would work <laughs> on western television it, yeah the, the other big the other big miss i think was that we never got you know the um the weekly the weekly anime slot in the evening, the sort of our version of Toonami, you know, because, you know, Bionics was good, but the one time a week format meant that they could only run so many shows. Yeah. And that meant that, you know, again, we didn't have access to, you know, they could have shifted the younger, the younger skewing shows to weeknights and we could have had stuff like Cowboy Bebop, Evangelion, um, on, you know, weekends or that sort of thing. I think that's probably the big, the big miss. When, I, when Bionics was still on, I mean, I remember looking at the YTV schedule for the rest of the, uh, for, you know, week, weekday evenings. And I think it was something like there was like a two hour block of SpongeBob and a two hour block of fairly odd parents. And I was like, really? You know, that's the best you can do with, with that, with that primetime slot. Well, they did. They did air episodes of Seed, Inuyasha, and Full Metal Alchemist on weeknights for a while too. Okay. Yeah. Uh, How late were we talking though? I think like ten o'clock, ten thirty. Actually, actually, oh, okay. Inuyasha aired as early as eight thirty, if I remember correctly. Really? Yeah. Okay. I don't recall that. Yeah. 
But I mean, they they never, you know, they 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 aired reruns, right? They didn't license any new stuff to fill those slots, you know. So again, no. you didn't really get any new series. I think I think One Piece would have gone over really well on YTV if it hadn't been butchered to hell and back. Oh man, yeah. Oh, One Piece is, has has had such a tumultuous history. Uh, yeah. in on well, in just English language television in general. Unfortunately, it's starting to look like the, we're at a point now where it may never be able to get its foot in the door. Uh, it's yeah. it's quite lucky to even be airing you know as late as it does on Adult Swim right now. They seem pretty insistent yeah. on on keeping it on the air, but you yeah. know it just can't grab it can't grab the audience that it really should be grabbing. I, I remember when it premiered on Fox all those years ago. I remember reading somewhere that they had kept. You know, the maybe not the original Japanese opening, but had just translated it. And then when it started, and it was that awful pirate. They, rap, they did. Like, they had <laughs> they had a faithful translation of the really? of the opening that that uh, wow. they showed at some trade shows. Uh, they wow. didn't wind up using it. <laughs> yeah, what a shame. Yeah. God. Yeah, that's about it for me. All right, so Kevin, we'll move on to you. Biggest missed opportunity, in your opinion? Oh, uh, a lot of them have been named, like uh, like Nana and. Evangelion. I guess one that I would pick that has not been mentioned is uh, a lot of the Blue Water dubs for anime that never really came on the air. Like I'm looking at a list of them now. Like I think My Hime could have worked really on YTV. I think it could have. You know, it had a lot of action in it. I guess I guess there was those fan service elements to it. But yeah, they were start. There's a lot of kind of weird sexuality in the show too. Uh, but I mean, you know, some stranger stuff has aired on YTV after all. So, I mean, who am I to say? <laughs> Jungle Cruise. And oh. I recall like, and I guess other ocean uh, dubs too, like, I don't know, like Shauna or Ele- Elemental Jalade, for example, just throwing some names out there. Like, I don't know, there was potential there. And I guess one show I would have loved to have seen on YTV was Wolf's Reign, but that didn't happen. Yeah, that was a great show. Uh, I, yeah, I, I, I for one didn't appreciate it at the time when it was out, but it's uh, something that I, I think I appreciate. I, I appreciate it thematically a bit more now, at least uh, what I've seen. I, need, I still need to finish it. The soundtrack alone make, is one of my, you know, I'd say, top five anime soundtracks of all time. Maybe even Yoko Kano's best work, I might say. It is fantastic, yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I guess if I had to pick one more smaller thing... um. You know, it would have been nice if we got the last Inuyasha season, but then I guess, at this point, the only anime that YTV airs... Actually, YTV isn't even airing anime anymore, does they? They because moved everything to Teletoon. Air on Teletoon, yep. yeah. Uh, I think there's still hope for Inuyasha Final Act to show up somewhere, but probably not YTV. Really? Uh, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. It's it's airing in the States, though. I, think, I, I, I don't think it's done yet. I think it's got a few more weeks, so, I mean, there's still... There's, there's, it's, it's plausible that, that it could show up somewhere, but yeah. Uh, so anyway, for my missed opportunity, uh, it, I actually picked something a little different, uh, which would be running Studio Ghibli movies on CBC. <laughs> as, That's not a bad idea, actually. Yeah. Well, as you might remember, they did air Spirited Away, uh, and they even promoted it as, uh, you know, the Academy Award winning film Spirited Away, uh, but it, and it showed up in a, like a Sunday evening time slot, but it's in their, I guess what they used to call their Wonderful World Disney time slot. Yeah, uh, I remember that. Yeah, but yeah. and it wound up getting edited by about thirty minutes for time, uh, which you know the idea of editing Studio Ghibli movies is <laughs> is is kind of scary because we 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 know all those those contractual issues with it, and it was a big disappointment. Yeah, isn't that against the contract? <laughs> um, 
<laughs> Obviously not for television. Uh, cause I don't think anybody got in trouble over that, but we didn't see any more Studio Ghibli movies. Cause, and it, and it just has this big air of disappointment around it because it's so hard to get anything from Disney on the, on, like, on the air, on regular broadcast. And the fact that CBC was able to get Spirited Away, as they do with many Disney and Pixar movies, or at least they did, uh, back about uh, seven or eight years ago, they had access to it. They could have got, they could have gotten it, they could have gotten more, and they could have run them all. But, it's just so clear that nobody at the CBC programming department cared or understood about it. And I just feel like if someone there had cared, if someone had understood, they could have just taken that extra care or, or just tap someone on the shoulder and say, hey, maybe let's create a promo for this movie. Maybe let's look at the other Studio Ghibli movies that Disney has. Uh, maybe let's not edit it by 30 minutes and actually <laughs> kind of treat this airing as an event rather than Sunday evening filler. Uh and again, I mean, they had that library at their disposal. And this was around the same time that like TCM was airing Studio Ghibli films. Uh, they showed they showed up on Cartoon Network in the states as well. They aired a number of them. But uh, again, CBC could have could have kind of broken ground with that. Uh, but they it just it just wasn't able to materialize, and I I think that was really disappointing. Well, that's not exactly a burning hot ratings time slot either, right? Sunday evening, you feel like they could have been able to take a chance there with with something unproven like that. Oh yeah, for sure. But I mean, they 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 stuck by a pretty rigid schedule. Uh, so yep, so much for that potential experiment. And just before we move on, real quick, was Macross Frontier ever licensed out anywhere? Did that ever no. in the states or? No. Okay. Yeah, because that could have, that could have been a pretty good follow up to Seed, I think. The day that they license any more Macross in North America is the day I die. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's actually kind of a miracle that we can still get our hands on Macross Plus on DVD. Really? Uh, yeah, I didn't know it was that bad. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm still kind of amazed that Macross Plus even got licensed, considering the the Harmony Gold situation. Oh yeah, yeah. that's true. They, that was licensed after that. I thought it was licensed before that. All that stuff happened. I don't know. I don't know the exact timeline of the the, the legal events, but, but yeah, we were lucky. We were lucky to get plus and we'll leave it at that. Uh, Harmony. I think whether we ever see Frontier, it's up to Harmony Gold. And at this point, I don't think Frontier is gonna make any uh, any waves with anybody who isn't already familiar with it. Unfortunately. So. Yeah, probably. Yeah. And just to go quickly go back to Ghibli, does anyone remember when uh, YTV aired Princess Mononoke through that loophole? Yeah, that was a weird loophole that they were able to get that because they got through what, what loophole? So here's what happened. When Disney first released Princess Mononoke, they released it under Miramax. Right. Uh, so usually Disney holds on to the ability to distribute movies internationally, or at least in Canada. But with Miramax is a weird exception because it was kind of uh, arm's length kind of operation. Uh, right. So, but they actually did their Canadian distribution through Alliance Atlantis, and for years Alliance Atlantis was distributing Princess Mononoke. Obviously, this was a huge oversight by whoever was, you know, handling the contracts for Studio Ghibli stuff. So, yeah. YTV was actually able to license Princess Mononoke through Alliance Atlantis and air that one movie. When when was that? Uh, I can't remember exactly what year it was. I'm, I think it was around 2008, 2009. Oh, really? No, Not no, too long ago. Oh no, it was it was earlier than that. Something like oh, okay. 2006. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Mid, mid aughts, basically. Uh, and it was weird because the version they got was actually like a work print dub. Uh, it had a few, <laughs> a few differences, uh, from the, wow. from the, from the version we're used to. It had the Japanese song over the credits at the end. Uh, yeah, it was a, it was a few very small differences compared to the, the finalized dub. But, uh, that's, uh, that's cool. yeah, inter interesting bit of trivia 
that that appeared on uh on on the station there. January twenty eighth, two thousand six. Okay, there we go. It was two thousand six. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that was that that was a that was a neat little little occurrence. Uh, of course, didn't lead to anything because YTV wouldn't have been able to access any other Studio Ghibli movies, and I'm sure they would have loved to, but. You know, you, yeah. you need to have a deal with Disney in place to do that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It was still kind of amazing that Cartoon Network was able to get them, but it was all because of that uh, that TCM deal and the connection through Turner. So anyway, on to the final bit. Uh, any hopes or expectations that you might have for anime on television in Canada in the future? Uh, and we'll start with Emily on this one. Well, obviously, it, it would be nice to see some some more uh, teen anime on, on YTV again. Um whether it's in a block like Bionics or, or in some other f- format. Um, it, right now there, there's so much stuff that's geared to the, the younger end of, of their demographic, but they can actually target up to teens and, um, and, and in their later time slots, they do want to have something that's, that's a little bit, um, either for older teens or, or younger adults. Um, and it would be nice to see them, you know, experiment and, and have a little bit uh, of anime coming in there again. Um, I'd also really like to see Teletoon get into airing stuff that is not just for kids as well and getting into, you know, teen and, and adult anime. They they have the opportunity to do this, you know, like they're, their demographic is, is a lot wider. So they, they could actually do a lot more with it. And then, of course, I want to, you know, see – Hopefully something into mainstream TV. Um, you mentioned the, the the Ghibli movies. Um, it would be really nice to see some of those. I like I, I know that the things can be difficult with uh, with Disney to to work things out, but you know every little kid that I show my neighbor Totoro to, it falls in love with it instantly. <laughs> if that could air on a children's focus station. Like I, I could just imagine the merchandising going through the roof. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, any other stations uh, that you think anime could work on? Well, Showcase is would be uh, you know an easy one. I think um, Space could probably do it, but they would have to be really focused and and um, go for stuff that is similar to the other kinds of shows that they're already airing. <laughs> So it, like it was it, horrible B movies. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, like they they air like a lot of sci-fi and and, and fantasy type shows. Um, now a, a lot of these things have been moved around lately, but you know, like they were basically the station that that was airing Supernatural for a long time. Um, and uh, and then they get um other shows like that. Um, and um. You know, it would be really nice to go in and and see something like City get into it, but I'd, I'd I don't know that would be yeah probably far in the future. <laughs> I think unfortunately, I think any 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 uh, network broadcasters uh, are probably out of the question at this point. It might be you know more likely for like a movie or something that would uh, already have proven itself. Do they even run movies uh, anymore? Maybe during the day, uh, but. Yeah. I'm not sure it's too much anymore. Um, yeah. I, I'm actually really surprised that nobody has picked up Attack on Titan yet. That, yeah, it. Oh, yeah. Like, like, it's, because it's already really popular and it's not 
on television here. Um, so that's a no-brainer. It's something that would be an instant hit. You could probably it, it could probably work on just about any station that even even leans a little bit towards general interest. Honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so, Mark, uh, any thoughts on this or television in general? Yeah, well, I mean, in the interest of full disclosure, I haven't had cable for about five years, so I think I'm, <laughs> I feel I feel a little disconnected from the current media state. You know, uh, would I like to see blocks of anime show up again on you know Teletoon or YTV? Sure. Will they actually do it? I'm not so sure. You know, it might take a it might take a, a shakeup at the upper levels of management. You know, they might look at at these former blocks and think that they were maybe a failed experiment, or maybe just see it as a bit too much effort. But you know, I would like to see those come in, but it, it'll be an uphill battle because now with all the streaming options, you know the the fact that Netflix has it, uh, there's Crunchyroll, which I'm not sure what their subscription model is, but it seems to be pretty pretty quick to access that. Yep. I think that might be you know where the main battle is, to be perfectly honest. And you know I do like the fact that they're putting up subtitled versions sometimes the same day. I think I think they were doing that Within, with Naruto and some other shows. With pretty much all their shows, with the simulcast, will show up within hours uh, of yeah, airing in yeah. Japan. That's pretty mm-hmm. awesome. I think uh, the other, the only other problem though is that with the streaming, and maybe this is a bit off topic, but because there's no real permanence to it, you know, you can't you can't build a collection like you can with you know uh, with VHS and DVD. So I would like to see maybe not VHS, Blu-ray. Sorry, that's how old I am. Um, so I would like to see you know uh, retail sales have a bit of a pickup. But um, yeah, as far as AR and TV, it might be a bit of an uphill battle when so many people are so used to downloading already. Yeah, I know HMV, uh, you know, which thankfully is still around, uh, for the most part. Uh, they, they are carrying a lot more titles now. They've got, they've, they, they really bulked up their selection of Sentai and Viz titles in particular. Yeah, it, it's pretty impressive. And when you compare the prices to five or 10 years ago, when a box set would have been $200, I mean, you know, getting an entire 26 episode series for 20 bucks is pretty damn impressive. Yeah, as a, as someone who likes to collect physical media, I am very thankful that we still have HMV in Canada. <laughs> uh, sometimes their prices are a bit high, but we're, we're lucky. And, and unfortunately, it probably isn't going to last forever, but, uh, yeah, and thing, yeah, things are definitely, uh, shifting towards streaming in a way. Uh, I still think there's, you know, significance in, in sort of the passivity of watching things on TV, because then sure. people, because even on Netflix, I mean, you know, we love Netflix in Canada so much, uh, and there's, and it's really one of the best venues for anime now, I'd say, but I mean, you still, yeah. you still need that incentive to click on the title before you watch it, whereas, <laughs> you know, something randomly running on a, on a popular cable station and, uh, on on TV, uh, you're going to get some people who are going to discover something they weren't expecting to a lot of the time, too. Yeah. yeah. I, I get the feeling maybe there might be a sense that anime was kind of a fad that has passed as opposed to being, you know, uh, you know a sort of uh, a method of filmmaking that, you know, really transcends every single genre. And so there might be an idea that, well, you know, the kids aren't into anime anymore, but that's kind of reductive, really, because it's never really gone away. It's just kind of waxed and waned. I, I agree. It is reductive to a degree. Uh, I think it is also, I think it is true to a degree, uh, but I think that to, 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 to simply say anime is done, let's leave it at that. I think that's horribly dismissive. I think there's still a lot of potential to be found in that. And I think a lot of the problem yeah. is that, you know, when we talk about television in Canada, we, we seem to get stuck in this conversation of, you know, people want US TV, they don't want Canadian TV, uh, or, or, or ideas like that. And we kind of lose sight of things from outside of North America a lot of the time, or at least, yeah. uh, for, uh, outside of things that are on like multicultural networks and stuff. So, yeah. I mean, anime kind of throws an interesting bone in that, in that whole kind of discussion. Uh, which, exactly. uh, I think, I think, which is why I think that the station should, should, uh, explore it a little more even now. 
Uh, so Kevin, your thoughts on, on things for the future? Well, I guess I don't expect teen oriented anime to ever come back on Canadian network television. Like right now, like all we have is all the kid oriented properties like Yu-Gi-Oh, like Pokemon. And I think Beatemon's playing on Teletoon as well, but, but, uh, I just, I don't know. I guess I've kind of moved on from watching TV for the most part. And like, like, uh, like as has been said earlier, there's a lot of streaming options, legal and otherwise, for people to consume their anime now. And, and Funimation's even doing those simul dubs. So people that actually do want to watch the English language can start to do that now. And I can see that actually ramping up from other companies in the future, especially like you have Knights of Sidonia on Netflix and, I can see other companies following suit. Uh, I guess for hopes, I guess if I had to list a pipe dream or two of mine, I would like to see Attack on Titan on TV somewhere. I don't realistically expect it to happen, but it would have been nice. Uh, I always had this other pipe dream where, um, is it called Slice, that woman-oriented channel? Is that what, it, is yes. that what it's still yeah. called? <laughs> it's still called Slice, yeah. <laughs> It's, it would have it's, been nice. it's targeted to women my age. So. It, it used to be Life Network, and then they brilliantly rebranded it as Slice. Uh, they kind it of shifted been... their target <laughs> yeah. when they did that, too. Oh, Only man. Only slightly, but, yeah. Like, it, it would have been nice to see some uh, woman-oriented anime on that network, like Nana, like Princess Jellyfish, like Honey and Clover. Like, I always... Because I really like Jose anime and manga, so... That would have been nice. Yeah. It would have been, it would have been interesting to see, but like again, I don't think it's really realistic at this point. It could be, but it's just how do you convince someone to take a, to take a, to take a stab at it is the thing. Mm-hmm. For that kind of thing, I think the key is always, you know, there, sometimes you really need someone at the network who really understands anime and has a vision of what might work if they just take a small risk. And that's really the only reason that Toonami is going in the states right now and also even in australia their public broadcaster has been running some anime on the the youth network uh abc3 they ran sort of online they ran madoka i think they, oh, wow. yeah uh l- later at night of course so mm-hmm. i mean i mean and i think there's always been people at those networks who have been have been interested in anime so that's that's really how you kind of drive it and have people keep keep giving it an, an opportunity and like sometimes it does well sometimes it doesn't but if you if you know what titles to pick and how to curate it and and how to present it i mean it can it can it can really pay off and with things like honey and clover i mean i'm sure that there's a place you can put honey and clover on canadian tv and it could find an audience i'm i'm confident that you could but it's it's a really tough sell and a really tough argument to make to somebody that it's worth taking that chance that's oh yeah that said, I don't really see Attack on Titan as a pipe dream. I think I think it's something that that can and and should happen. The same goes for Space Dandy and Kill the Kill. Those three titles oh, yes. in particular, which have all done very well in the states, I I think they really need to show up on Canadian TV at some point. I think someone takes needs to take a stab at it. And I mentioned yeah, at the beginning of the show how we're seeing that change now, where uh, cable and satellite providers are going to allow customers to pick specifically 
the cable channels that they want, uh, which is going to create a much more competitive environment for especially uh, TV services. You know, they're going to they're going to have to pull some wild stunts to 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 win over audiences, and in that I think that's going to require appealing to niches quite a bit as well. So I think that we might see, if not you know, stations that we normally expect like Teletoon or Space. I think we might see someone take a stab at it, just even as just a crazy attempt to to tap into potential niche audiences with with anime. There's going to be it's going to be a lot more cutthroat. I think it might even be interesting to see. But I think I think there's a place for anime in all that, and at least those three particular shows, uh, I'd like to see show up at some point. I think there's I think there's hope there. I don't think we should give up hope. <laughs> Call me jaded. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, we still haven't actually heard anything about a, a TV deal for uh, for Sailor Moon. Yeah. Uh, with, with the new dub and uh, and with Sailor Moon Crystal. Um, Crystal hasn't even and hasn't, Crystal hasn't been dubbed yet, but that could be something that could end up being a package deal. They haven't right? confirmed that it will oh. be dubbed either, uh, from what I've heard. Um, that that would be missing out on a huge opportunity. Towards they're gonna use the same cast. That's that's what it sounds okay. like. Well, we'll see what happens with mm-hmm. that. I think I think there'd be a lot of potential for that new Sailor Moon dub, at least on Canadian TV, yeah. given you know the the significant reputation that it has up here, uh, which I would still argue is bigger than the reputation it has in the states. Uh, e- easy to lose yeah, easy to lose I, sight of that sometimes, given. Yeah, and I would say that that it would be very smart for Viz to um, to really try to go after a Canadian network um, to to get. Sailor Moon on here. Um, I don't know if uh, I don't know how well it would work in the states. There, there is a significant fan population there now, but uh, they have to really get a good time slot, or it, it's not going to work. And it's harder because the original Sailor Moon is an older property, and so many of the fans that we have now have already seen it subtitled. Um, and you do have a bit of a division between the fans who like the old dub versus subtitled versus the new dub. So there's a lot of variety there in the fandom um, and some infighting, <laughs> which <laughs> I'm sure happens in every fandom. <laughs> Sailor Moon's real name is Serena, and I'll take that to my grave. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I, I definitely want to see it get on TV again because it, it could still be successful I, again you know even the um, the the original series um, and then eventually maybe crystal you know the, the fixed version not the sloppy animated version <laughs> <laughs> I, I will I will say that um, I know quite a lot of women in their 20s and 30s who you know haven't watched any anime in decades but if you mention Sailor Moon they will lose their minds. And so if, if Crystal managed to air on TV, I think it would really pick up, it would really capitalize heavily on the nostalgia factor there. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you know, like the, the fans who are still big fans, they, they know about it and they know how to get to it. Um, but, you know, there, there's a lot of closet fans, mm. you know, they're working professionals and they don't really openly talk about the, th- fact that they like anime or that they like Sailor Moon or, or any particular property because like I've run into people at work and, and everybody knows that I like Sailor Moon because <laughs> I'm, I'm like that. <laughs> Good for you. Uh, <laughs> I, I wore a Sailor Jupiter costume on Halloween. I think the secret's out. <laughs> 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 um, That's awesome. But, uh, but 
but yeah, so like, like there'll be like the odd person who'll go and say, oh, I, you know, like I heard there's this new one that's coming. I'm like, oh yeah, you can go and you can watch it on yeah. Crunchyroll. Right. Well, that's the whole thing. I think with a, with a title like Sailor Moon, the, a lot of the potential audience for that, they're not even people who you would call fans. They're just people who fondly remember it from their childhoods. Uh, and mm-hmm. But I, I think that that's still a substantial market. And a lot of those people are parents now, too, and they'll show it to their kids. Exactly. Yeah. That's what the voice actors are doing now. Yeah. They're, they're actually they're showing it to their kids. Which is there? There's some uh, funny stories that uh, that Toby Proctor was was telling at Anime North about that. He's uh, showing it to uh, to his young daughters, and um, and then they went to they're playing with like Barbies, and and one of the and I guess there was like a Kendall or so, or or something was supposed to be tuxedo mask uh, driving <laughs> a car or something. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so they were acting things out afterwards. <laughs> and at least one of them, he said, was had become a big fan of Tuxedo Mask, right? <laughs> but I'm not sure if they totally understood how he was Tuxedo Mask. <laughs> but uh, but it's interesting. And, and then, um, like uh, Linda Ballantyne, when she was originally recording, uh, one of her one her youngest daughter was you know like a like a toddler at the time and and would like mimic her and stuff and now her kids are teenagers and they don't really want to talk about it but the first time they go with her to anime north they're like okay this is cool (laughs) you're popular we're we're good with this (laughs) it it, it can be that easy sometimes so Well, I hope you enjoyed the first episode of Zan in Canada. Big thanks to Emily, Mark, and Kevin for coming on the show today. We'll be doing another roundtable discussion about television next episode. Got any questions, comments, or thoughts? I like to read them on the air, so feel free to submit them through the contact form at zanin.ca or tweet me at jbetteridge. Theme song is by UltraKleistron. You can check out more of his stuff at ultraclystron.com. If you know anybody who might be interested in this show, be sure to recommend it. See you all next time.